right. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this mid-late January edition of the GFP Podcast and Blast. I am Chris Hull, communication specialist from Game Fish and Parks here in Pier. Uh, today we've got a cool episode, just kind of on the whim, sat down. I was actually in Sioux Falls for some uh, video shoot. We worked with the Sioux Falls Police Department and did some ice rescue, kind of uh, how to get out of the ice if you fall through stuff, and sat down with regional supervisor down there, wildlife regional supervisor down there, uh, Emmett Kieser. Emmett is one of those guys, if you've done much of anything with game fishing parks uh, on a certain level, um, you probably ran into Emmett. He's been around for 30-some years. He's done, he was a Lyman County game warden, but really been uh, the regional soup in Sioux Falls, and he was our head law dog for a while, and he was our assistant director for a while, and uh, so working with the legislature and lots of public and lots of big projects. So Emmett's sort of a legend, and he's got some cool projects going down uh, there in Sioux Falls. So sat down and uh, shot the breeze with Emmett and just told some stories, but then told some, uh, we talked about some cool uh, cool stuff, some, some expansion at the campus coming up in Sioux Falls here in the next couple of years. Talked about a cool program with track chairs and uh, just some other stuff. Uh, WDM, you know, it's been, you know, a long winter for all of us, but certainly for wildlife and uh, producers who have cattle and sheep and horses and whatnot. Um, it can get, winters can be long. And, and uh, so we talked about that to kind of start it off, but good stories, good stuff from my main man, Emmett Heezer. Take a listen. Sioux Falls uh, missed the tsunami or another snow-nami I guess luckily got an inch or two in the ground but I'm at the outdoor campus with longtime GFP employee Emmett Kieser. Emmett how we doing bud? Heavy heavy on the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Great other than uh, yeah we got uh, a lot of deer depredation activities going on but our staff are working hard to get with landowners and help them out the best they can and uh, it's already been a long winter, though. Right. When you say a lot of deer depredation, like how many? Give me a ballpark. You know, we're probably, each region, northeast and southeast, uh, probably they have the preponderance of the depredation activities going on right now. But, um, you know, I would guess probably 60 uh, landowners are working on the northeast. We probably got about 50-some down here. So it's uh, it's been a pretty active, active uh, winter already. Um, we're running out of... Uh, Livestock panels, we actually provide loaner panels, and uh, landowners use those to put around their stored feed, and, and uh, a lot of times they're grinding feed this time of year, of course, yep. and feeding cattle. And Good opportunity for us to get out there and, and help them out and, and uh, you know, with whatever we can do. Uh, sometimes we uh, are relegated to trying to shortstop them, keep them away from their feed, but um, it, uh, it 
it's shaping up to be another one of those long, long winters, but uh, really appreciate all the help we're getting from landowners out there to plow our paths out to get deer uh, short-stopped away from their stuff and and uh, working with us on uh, some of these panel contract issues. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the efforts that we've made over the years to be a little more proactive with producers, I think, has really, really helped us out in, in terms of uh, providing um, dollars to help them build some stack yards, more permanent. Uh, right things in their places to uh, protect their their uh, stored feed and hay to keep the deer out this uh, these kind of winters yeah and I, I think that's probably a program that you know when people think of game fishing parks um, a lot of you know the, the, the anglers and, and hunters and especially folks who are new to that and, and kind of paying attention so it's something that people don't even know that we do and and the first question is always well why why do you do it yeah, and really, I think the uh, the big reason is, um, you know, we uh, we do manage the wildlife, and and uh, you know, we try to be as uh, responsible as we can in, in terms of the uh, partnership efforts that we have with landowners. You know, they uh, provide access uh, to uh, literally thousands of uh, hunters and, and a lot of anglers as well, each and every year. And and uh, you know, I think our sportsmen have been very supportive of those programs too. Um, you know, I think um, the uh, the legislature, you know, helped out uh, quite a bit uh, with some funding uh, measures, you know, that, mm -hmm. um, you know, the sportsmen do provide, um, you know, whether it's, uh, um, you know, some of the uh, permit fees that are, are charged uh, to uh, help deliver those program services. But uh, we rely heavily on our wildlife damage staff. You know, they, uh, they're the staff that are out there year after year after year and working with producers on uh, predators and and uh, those kinds of things and, and uh, trying to keep their... Uh, Livestock protected uh, from coyotes and, right. and uh, so forth when they're calving and lambing and so forth too. But um, yeah, it's uh, been a great program and, and uh, you know I think um, as I say very well supported by our sportsmen as well. And I you know I think the idea is that it hopefully buys uh, um, access you know in, in uh, some some ways uh, um, for those sportsmen out there. But um, you know when eighty percent of our our property in South Dakota is, is owned in, in private ownership. Um, important to have those uh, positive relationships with landowners yeah i think you know i've been around 16 years and you got me probably doubled but uh i i think that when i first learned about that and, and that was kind of when we had a, like 96 we we're coming off some really rough winters up yep. in the northeast 96 um, 97 rough rough winters across the state yeah and it kind of went from that necessary evil thing right like okay i guess we're gonna have to help you know do this kind of stuff at least the public perception of it to you know you're talking about providing some access and obviously a lot of these critters live on their ground you know year round but it's also you know and I, and I think it was maybe even you one time we were talking about it and you just came from the legislature and you were talking about you know kind of a tolerance a landowner tolerance and a lot of it was elk too remember when the yep. elk were coming in and tearing up stuff and the landowners were like we you know if it was up to me you'd kill every one of them right but you provide some of that help and and even some of my friends up in the Northeast who are landowners, you know, even knowing that that's there and going, okay, if we get up against it and I'm, you know, I'm spending my entire day moving snow to get to my cows and then grind the feed and I come up there and there's 150 deer standing there peeing all over everything and eating everything I got, I know I can make that call. Yep. And, and that's what I encourage folks to do is uh, give us a call and we'll do the best we can. You know, it's a, a tough old deal when uh, producers got to deal with the, 
snow and, and uh, cold weather and broken equipment and, and uh, you know, livestock consuming extra feed because it's cold out and, and uh, you know, we want to do our best too to help, uh, you know, where they've got deer coming in on, on those uh, stored feed supplies because, uh, you know, they work hard all year long to get them put up and, and, uh, and uh, you know, we don't want to see the deer um, eat them unnecessarily either. A lot of landowners, you know, but uh, compassion I've seen in landowners for wildlife, you know, they uh, they know they got to eat too, and a lot of times they'll peel a couple of bales off the pile and throw off right. there and, and uh, get the deer fed and or take their tractor out and, and uh, make a couple rounds out in the uh, harvested cornfield, expose some ground so those pheasants can get out there and eat a little bit. And, and uh, a lot, you know, I think almost all of our producers in, in some form or fashion appreciate living out in in the outdoors in South Dakota and, and they like wildlife and they like to see wildlife around their place and, and they just uh, you know we can't uh, we can't expect them to tolerate uh, excessive losses right it's uh it's interesting you know I came came down we went to Deadwood a couple of weeks ago for a swim meet and I think every deer West River is between Midland and Phillip and you know exactly where I'm talking yep, about the old noble noble garage right there oh my yep. god and yep. then those flats yeah and any place there's a exposed flat with some yep. you know not even there's not even food there it's just no <laughs> snow right and then uh between like Vivian and probably Kennebec on the old highway yep I, it, I'm telling you if you don't live on that road you shouldn't be driving it because there are deer I mean I drove there, I was going down ice fishing, I bet I counted 50 dead deer in the ditch. And then you're looking and you're just, oh my goodness, I mean, there's thousands of deer, you know, that, thousands. That's, uh, yeah, Medicine Creek uh, winters a lot of deer, you know, all the way from uh, out in Jones County all the way up to uh, Lake Sharp. It, uh, it's a great wintering area for white-tailed deer and mule deer. Um, it, uh, yeah, at times, I, I got a lot of history down in, in Lyman County too. Was started my career down there as a conservation officer, and uh, you know one of the first bad winters I experienced was '85, '86, and it was a, it was a tough old winter down there. And thankfully had some great landowners to work with, and and uh, we uh, did our best. And and uh, you know at that time we really didn't have a formal program at right. all either. And and uh, so that was one of the things that you know I think we always felt was our Achilles heel, so to speak, was. Uh, we got to do something that, uh, you know, shows landowners we care, you know, during times right. like this. And then be more proactive as well. Um, you know, we can develop some stackyard programs and do some proactive things. Work with them on deer management as well. If we can get some food plots put in, those kinds of things for the wintertime, right. habitat's always an important factor. Yeah. So let, let's talk about your long and illustrious career. Right now you're the Region 3 Wildlife Soup. I think you've been my boss three <laughs> different times, I think, along the way. But uh, you started, went to SDSU, you Sioux Falls kid? I can't remember. I uh, grew up in Watertown, went to high school oh, here at Sioux right. Falls Lincoln, and uh, yeah, graduated in 1975, went to South Dakota State and got a bachelor's degree and hung around another couple of years, got a master's degree and started my career in about 83 full-time with Game and Fish. In Lyman County as a CEO. Lyman County was where I went, and uh, yeah, people of Lyman County were... The best, uh, yeah, they are. There are there's good, <laughs> solid citizens out there, and, and uh, I enjoyed them, and hopefully, they enjoyed my wife and I too. And yeah. it's a great, great first place to be. And then, where'd you go from there? And from there, I came down to Sioux Falls. I was the regional uh, habitat manager down here for a couple of years, so I managed the uh, GPAs down here in the southeast. Uh, we uh, had a lot, a lot of flooding going on up in the uh, Lake Thompson area, mm -hmm. and of course, uh, 
Kingsbury County, uh, the whole thing was uh, about 50% water, I think, at one time. But um, So we went to work and, and developed a really neat uh, waterfowl access project up there mm -hmm. and Habitat uh, on the south end of Whitewood Lake. And so that was uh, kind of a great opportunity to see some uh, Habitat go in and work with producers up there to, to uh, purchase a lot of those properties that were flooded. Right. And then to Pier from there? No, yeah. Then I was went to Pier, uh, spent about a year as a senior um, waterfowl biologist. I was working on uh, projects with Ducks Unlimited at the time and, and uh, trying to deliver uh, waterfowl habitat again um, across the state, uh, working with our regional habitat managers in all, all four uh, of our regions. But um, then about 1989, I uh, was asked to join the wildlife director's office as assistant director and was a ripe old age of 32 years old. <laughs> Managing a staff of about 185 people and, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. So right. came down to Sioux Falls in 2014. We've got a special needs daughter, Meg, and, and uh, got her into the LifeScape program down here. So then joined, uh, joined things, looking, uh, looking to retire probably in June of uh, this year. So. Ah, I heard it here first. Huh. Yeah. What the heck? And then what are you going to do? Then I'm going to hunt and fish <laughs> to my heart's content. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And I expect you to take me out to some of those I, unknown uh, dams down in the grasslands. I told you you've got, the open, you've got an open <laughs> invite. I've got some good ones in Jones and Lyman County that uh, don't see the light of day. In fact, I was on one. Uh, we ice skated all the way down on Martin Luther King Day. And and uh, I always try to ice fish, like, on my birthday the entire day. And we were in Des Moines for a swim meet. So my, my lovely wife gave me the permission to be gone all day. But it was so miserable that I only fished half a day. But it was still decent. But... Let's, I want to talk a little bit about, and I'm, I'm throwing you curveballs. Last couple of these episodes, I haven't given uh, my guests much of a chance, uh, heads up. I gave Emmett like three questions, but you started as a conservation officer uh, in Lyman County way back when. How has that job changed? You like, know, just look at uh, the long look at it, right? Yeah, just uh, happened yesterday to spend the whole day going out to Pier and back, uh, picking up a new vehicle. I had one of our newest conservation officers in the truck with me and got to share a little insight into, uh, you know, the uh, the whole uh, change that we've seen in, in uh, conservation law enforcement. You know, I, I, I think um, back in the uh, 70s and, and even early in the 80s, I, I think the image of conservation officer was uh, kind of like Andy of Mayberry. You know, they didn't uh, even carry a sidearm at the time. And it wasn't until about 80 or 81, I think, that our officers were actually issued sidearms. So and uh, all law enforcement equipment. And, of course, we've gone uh, into a pretty extensive training program. But, um, you know, landscape in, in uh, law enforcement, and, of course, our, our staff are, are, um, are certified law enforcement officers for the mm -hmm. state of South Dakota, and they undergo all the training that uh, every other law enforcement officer in the state undergoes. In fact, um, uh, we have a pretty extensive um, field training program as well. So it's been 13 weeks in a law enforcement academy and another probably 17 or 18 out in the field and and uh, you know the landscape has changed in terms of uh, you know the it, the uh, you know the the safety aspect of uh, right. being in, in law enforcement and of course we always want to make sure our officers come home safe and sound every night and so the training is important and so we issue them all the uh, the equipment but um, you know they're out there providing services to landowners too they uh, are interested in in uh, habitat and and uh, so they reach out to the landowners a lot and work with them on uh, 
habitat projects, walk-in access. Uh, they conduct wildlife surveys yet, and, and uh, you know, they're just a part of the bigger team in game fishing parks. Right. I, I Last week I talked to Austin Norton, and we talked a lot about that and, and about, you know, you come out of training and you're with, you know, people who are going to be, you know, deputy sheriffs and police, you know, policemen, police women and stuff. And I said, you know, it struck me that that our guys and girls in brown that are out there, you know, for three months out of the year, you're coming up to somebody, you know they have a gun. Yep. Right? And there might be 20 of them that have guns, right? And sometimes uh, in the middle of the night, you know, you're working spotlighters and right. you're all alone in a small remote part of the county. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, back in the day, you know, we didn't have GPS and, and didn't even have cell phones. Right. And sometimes the radios didn't even work very well. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the the, uh, the danger is always there. And, and uh, you know, I think the important aspect of uh, being a conservation officer and being effective is, is uh, you know, you got two lips and, and uh, the, that's probably your best defensive weapon in, in terms of dealing with people is uh, be assertive when you need to be, but, um, you know, make people feel comfortable. And, and uh, you know, when you approach them and check their licenses and bag limits and, and uh, so forth. And, and uh, so it was always, uh, I guess, my uh, my goal when I left uh, somebody after being checked in the field to, to make them feel like uh, they had a great conversation, maybe learn a little bit about wildlife and, and uh you know, hopefully develop some relationships for the future. Yeah. And we, you know, we talked a lot about him being in Webster. And of course I know about half of Webster and he knows three quarters, but you know, at the end of the day, you're also a citizen of Webster. Yeah. Too, right. You are, you are uh, and you're a local resource person. And, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things that, uh, probably I enjoyed most was in Lyman County is, uh, having coffee with ranchers or having coffee with the folks from town. Um, Hutch's cafe was, uh, hang out that uh, frequented a lot and and uh, in Prussia and and I got to know a lot of landowners that way and and uh, but yeah you are you are a citizen of the community and and uh, you know a lot of our staff get active in the, in right. the community my wife and I uh, when we were in Prussia we started a little gymnastics program there and and uh, enjoyed that um, my wife worked for Head Start uh, at the time and and uh, you know we're brand spanking new and married and uh, first place and Bought a little home in Prussia, and uh, yeah, just enjoyed the community. Great people. Trying to keep up with the Midland Tumblers. Then, yeah, exactly. Back then, back in the day. <laughs> um, it. While you were talking, I just kind of got off. You know, when I started, you were neck deep, and and these things always come up and stuff. But and I'm I don't want to say kinder, gentler, because we all cringed when that came up. <laughs> but you were kind of instrumental in in kind of doing setting up training to, to kind of change the way, was it community-based? Yeah. I can't remember what that was called, but. Yep. Right? Community policing. Yeah. Right. And uh, it, it's a buzzword in, in, uh, in law enforcement. And, you know, in conservation law enforcement in particular, we uh, we really relish those re- close relationships that we have with the public. And our public's a little different than, uh, say, a, a city police officer in the city of Sioux Falls. Um, you know, they've got a smaller beat. You know, sometimes right. our beats are. Five counties. Or, yeah, two <laughs> counties, three counties sometimes, yeah, they're pretty large areas. But, yeah, the, uh, you know, the goal of the department, I think, is always to build relationships. And, and I think, um, you know, to uh, to really emphasize that appropriately, you have to actually teach that during the training process. And, right. And we actually developed an interpersonal communication skills training program that uh, actually uh, was adopted by a number of states across the nation. In fact, um, had about 20 partner states to 
that I worked with to, to uh, develop the program and, and it became a part of our training back in the day. And, and uh, you know, it's, um, you know, it's that uh, personal side of, of uh, visiting with people. Um, as I mentioned to a young conservation officer yesterday, you know, sometimes it's not what people remember about what you say you said to them. It's about how, how they felt right. after you left the, uh, the contact with them. And so we always want to leave people with the, uh, the idea that, you know, that was a great, uh, great contact, uh, but he's a great representative of his, his department. And, and uh, so that was the goal that we uh, had set at the time and I had lots of great help uh, from our law enforcement training staff, from our supervisors uh, all across the, uh, the board. And of course the commission at the time, I think was really encouraging right. us as well to develop those relationships. So yeah. that's uh, been, been a, you know, something that I think has continued to be stressed in, in training. Yeah. And it, it's and I talking to Austin. It is amazing how much training our guys and gals have to do, and how often they I that I get invited to go and get beat up or maced or <laughs> put in handcuffs, you know. And Austin, of course, invited me, and I said, "You guys, one of these days, I'm going to let you do it." But so. it is, uh, it you know, it, the challenge of being a conservation law enforcement officer is you have to be trained to, you know. Be, be comfortable with the, the worst situation right. that you might might encounter but you also have to balance that with uh, you know being an effective communicator and, and uh, you know visiting with people putting them at ease during a, a, a license check um, you know there's a technique involved in that and, and uh, making people comfortable and and uh, I had some great uh, mentors around me when I was a young conservation officer uh, Jack Friedel was uh, my officer over to the Eastern Chamberlain, had uh, Jack Cool up in Fort Pierce, right. had uh, Denny Lenkeek uh, down in, in Gregory County, and Denny Mann over to the, the west of right. Jones County. So I was surrounded by, by some great, great uh, conservation officers, and, and uh, they all had a little different approach and technique to deal mm -hmm. with people, but uh, it was always friendly and courteous, respectful, and, and uh, you know, always aimed at, I think, developing long-term relationships. Right. You know, and it is... You know, it, life changes. You know, I, I know I'm 50 when I start saying that stuff. But, you know, you look back and you, you th those guys that you mentioned. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if I've gone a podcast without talking about Doug Jones and him throwing us in the back of his old brown pickup <laughs> and taking us to Travers to catch bullheads, you know. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine how much trouble one of our COs would be in now if they did that? You know, no seat belts and jeeps. But, Back you know, it's it seems like, and I look, and there's still exceptions, like Dean Schultz up in Siston was there 20 years. Yeah, you know? long term. It's It's got to be, I don't know if it's tougher, but I think it probably is because you have these duty stations that, and you can't blame them. God, you know, you and, you and your lovely wife going oh, to pressure yeah. and going, oh, we don't know anybody. Oh, can we get out of here? You yeah. know, and you're obviously you're looking to move your career and stuff, so you, you move on. But... You know, it, it's we put a lot on these young guys and gals. I mean, they're kids. Okay, here we go. We're putting you in pressure. We're putting you in faith. You know, we're putting you in you know bison or buffalo, buffalo. or yep. You know, cistern. You don't know anybody. Uh, your job is to you know the manage, connect, serve. Put all those three those three things together and make it work. Go fly, young bird. Right. Yep. yep. And and, you know, our, some of our landowners get used to, you know, make good connections with some and maybe not as good connections with others. And then in a couple of years, well, 
I'm moving to Watertown, or I got the Webster duty station, or I got the Pier on, yep. duty station, right? So that turnover thing is, is I think, you know, probably a little frustrating for for folks that live in those communities, but it's frustrating for us too. But, I mean, at the same time, that's the way it is. It is, and, and uh, you know, the challenge is, you know, you, you, you do want to make, uh, you know, people have the opportunity to grow in their career and, and uh, experience some, some uh, whether it's, you know, advancement or promotion to be a supervisor eventually. But, um, you know, the other opportunity is, you know, sometimes it takes two incomes to make a living in South Dakota. And, and uh, you know, that's uh, certainly the norm these days. And, and uh, you know, having a place you can live that your wife can, uh, can also work and, and have an enjoyable career is important. And some of our officers are fortunate enough, they uh, marry a local gal in right. some of those small communities. And, uh, you know, we've had them stay there for 20, 20, 30, 30 years, uh, something like that. And, and uh, they've, you know, become even a more grounded in the community. But, um, you know, it, uh, it is uh, tough, um, you know, to keep, uh, keep folks, especially in our rural communities. And, and so that's where I think those relationships are so key. Right. Um, you know, having the uh, conservation officer engaged in community activities, um, we've even had conservation officers who ended up being a, the mayor of right. small communities yeah. and, and uh, served on their county commissions and, and those kinds of things, which, uh, you know, I think is uh, important as well. And, and uh, so, yeah, being a part of a community is, is uh, somewhat of a challenge, but, um, you know, I can recall the folks in Lyman County, you know, they asked me, well, how long do you think you're going to stay here? And I said, well, I don't know, at least five years, but maybe 10, I don't know, yeah. you know. And I, you know, had an opportunity to come up that I couldn't pass up, you know, I was there about three years and, and uh, moved and, and uh, you know, never forgot a lot of the people that were there, had some great uh, mentors and some of the local law enforcement officers there, but uh, just some great, uh, great folks out there, um, ranchers and, and uh, farmers and telling people it was a great, great opportunity. Right. What, uh, and I've been asking all the, you know, doing some CEO interviews and stuff, got any like, oh, my God, I blew that situation and I learned from it or any crazy, funny stories from... Oh, yeah. You know, Jack, I mentioned Jack Bridle earlier. One time he and I were working along the river, and, and uh, at the time we had these big safety patrol boats, so yep. we got Coast Guard funding to uh, operate our safety patrol boats on the uh, reservoirs on, on the uh, Missouri River. and So we're working on, on uh, Francis Case there just south of Chamberlain and... and uh, Checking, uh, checking anglers, you know, probably on a Saturday morning or something. The, the bite was hot, and, and of course, at that time, uh, we had a lot smaller fish on, on Francis Case, so people were taking extra fish because they were small. Right. And uh, if you can imagine that. <laughs> and uh, so we pulled by a boat that was uh, just, just in a kind of a shallow bay, and as we went by, I looked up, and there's a young gal running up the hill, and she threw, throws something up into the air, and I thought, what in the world was that? So I, I told Jack, to, he was driving the boat, I said, Jack, turn around there, let's go talk to these folks. And we got there while they were cooking fish, and uh, they had too many. <laughs> so, but she was divesting herself up, running up the hill, was the fleas <laughs> that were the over limit. Right. And uh, so, yeah, we had a visit with them, and I think uh, they were probably, well, I think it was just one uh, one individual had two or three younger gals out with them, and, and uh, so yeah, we just had a had a discussion about the overlimit right. situation. <laughs> if I remember right, we might even seized uh, some of the fillets that were in the frying pan, <laughs> literally <laughs> taking food out of their mouths. <laughs> but 
uh, yeah, that was back in the day. You know, at that time, um, you, we don't do it today because of uh, court rulings. But at that time, we were actually stopping vehicles on the inter interstate, and we were seeing fish uh, fillets thrown out of vehicles, and, right. and uh, they'd they'd see us, and and uh, you know, we we're just trying to trying to find a way to to curtail the illegal activity. And, right. But uh, always uh, always fun being a conservation officer. We uh, I remember one time we were. We're snow goose hunting up around Renzihausen, and, and and we'd made we'd gotten a bunch of old printer sheets from the Siston Courier, those metal printer sheets, you know, full of ink and God knows every <laughs> deadly chemical in the world. But we came up with uh, I got a cousin Jay who, if your life depended upon it, you'd go out and catch or kill something to eat. I mean, he's just the I mean, he's a raccoon, a cormorant. I mean, the the guy is. From an early age, he was figuring out the most interesting ways to catch or, you know, some legal, some not legal, some <laughs> on the gray, but that was a long time ago, so. But he came up with this idea, and we pop riveted, like, you didn't even have to cut them, you just bent them, and you pop riveted them, and we spray painted them, and they were, you could carry a stack, a couple hundred of them, you know, like nothing, but they were liquid sharp, I mean, you'd have cuts all over, and the snow goose, the snow goose limit was 15, and we went out, and, and right off of Renzihausen, and talked to this landowner, and he said, well, I think my boys are going to hunt tomorrow, but we were kind of talking, and I said, well, we got all these goose decoys, and he goes, well, we'll hunt with you. I said, perfect. And we went out, and I mean, we were on the X. These geese, these snow geese were coming in by the thousands. Wow. And we went out with them, and we set up all the decoys, and it was kind of kind of crappy day. And uh, we went out, and my, my cousin had like an old, Bonneville, like an old car, baloney skin tires on it, and it took us like an hour to get up there. <laughs> we got all the decoys set up, and they these guys came out, and we just shot a ton of geese, and, and we're picking up geese, and yeah, that's enough, you know. And we're counting, and I look up, and they're just driving away. And I look down, I'm like, oh my god, what that, you know? <laughs> they get there was four of them. Like, Whoa, we're way over, so we. Drove to their house and, and, and said, and they were like, well, we don't want them. I said, well, we can't take them, right? So we, I'll put them in your barn, and I'll drive up tomorrow, and I'll come and get them. So I gutted them, 60 geese besides <laughs> the 45 that we had, you know. So we go up there and, and gutted them all and left them like I thought they were going to take them, so I was like, okay, figure this out. So we did. And the next day, he drove up with four of us and, and went and got him and, and, you know, thanked him for an awesome hunt and whatever. And he goes, well, go out there again and shoot. I said, no, we can't today. We've got 60, right? So we're, we're going and we're kind of getting them, putting them in the trunk of this stupid car. And uh, we're going, going, going. Oh, we got 61. It's 61 <laughs> geese. Okay, we're one over. And I'm thinking, man, I don't want to have Doug Jones mad at me or whatever. And, so, well, I'll just throw it in, and it is what it is. I'm not going to leave it lay in their barn. I'm not going to throw it in their ditch. I'm not going to throw it in a ditch somewhere else. We'll just If we have to take it, and <laughs> if we get stopped, we get stopped. So we were coming back, and my, my cousin had a dog, Snip, this big old black lab, and it's sitting in the back seat. We stopped in Britain. I can't even remember the cafe it was, but we stopped because we were hungry. And uh, so we went in to eat, and we came back out, and that dog had chewed a hole probably about two feet wide in the back seat See, of that car to get to those geese and it proceeded to eat about eight of those geese i mean there was there was some feathers and there was blood and that was about it and i went well at least we're not over now you know i'm not sure about the legality 
And it was super slippery on the way home, so it probably took us three hours to get home, and that dog had the worst farts in oh the world. Oh, my God. And I went, you know what? That's our punishment for having that one goose over, yep. is having to sit with this, roll the window down. and <laughs> Yeah, that's... It, yeah, that I'll never forget that. Every time I every time I see my my cousin Leo John, who's Jason's dad, we talk about that, and we just die laughing. So, um, let's talk about you got a cool project, um, kind of based on Rapid City's got a couple of the track chairs, and I think that's Youth Outdoor Adventures that yeah, kind of got they that thing. Yeah, that rolling. track chair out in Rapid. Yeah, and that uh, really been a been a great uh, opportunity for us to uh, provide. You know the chance for for people with mobility issues to get outside, right? And, uh, and I got I got to go film some of that stuff and watch that thing in action, and it was really cool. And then you got in the middle of the Samp Cyclone, yeah, working with Michael Samp and and his son Peter and and his dad Raleigh. Um, been a great uh, opportunity. Yeah, yeah they uh, actually Raleigh and his family uh, used the chair, and, and uh, Raleigh had been a long time fisherman out in the Black Hills mm-hmm. and taking his family on vacation over the years and, and uh, really enjoyed uh, getting his kids out and, and uh, his grandkids were going to go um, out and, and they wanted to look for opportunities to take their grandpa fishing and uh, they were looking for for uh, sites where they uh, might have some improved ac- access um, you know, for people with mobility challenges and, and uh, really discovered our track chair and Raleigh had such a great time, wrote an article, put it in yep. our Conservation Digest, and, and uh, talked about what a wonderful opportunity it was for him to have the chance again to share the chance to go fishing with his grandkids. Right. And uh, he said, you know, anything we can do, um, our family more than happy to jump in and help you raise some funds and uh, contact owners, whatever it takes. We just think uh, having some more of those track chairs around the state would be a great chance to get more folks outdoors. Right, and I use the term... Cyclone uh, lovingly because I've known Raleigh since I was probably 21. I was interning at the uh, state senate and got to be, you know, pretty good friends with our lieutenant Car- uh, governor Carol Hillard. And then eventually, when Carol ran for Congress, Raleigh was instrumental in the fundraising thing and got to know Michael. And and the cyclone is, you know we've got this idea, we're going to do it, are you are you coming along or not? Yeah, right? you're and just I mean, going to get caught up in it right. if you don't come up. Right, <laughs> right. It's, it's, they're good people to have on your side. And, they are and great people. I remember you contacted me and saying, hey, you know, we want to do this, we've got to start getting some, some, you know, putting some feelers out, and you told me they were involved, and I went, this is a done deal, right? <laughs> so these track chairs, uh, for our listeners, um, they're basically a souped-up electric wheelchair, They've got tracks, they've got, I mean, the battery power, the, all the plug-in, you know, the plug-and-play fishing rod holders and gun holders and stuff. I mean, it's the whole deal. It is. They're, they're uh, really a well-made uh, little mobility device as well. We've been uh, working with Action Track Chair uh, here most recently over in Marshall, Minnesota, and, and uh, you know, they've got uh, all kinds of add-ons, as you mm-hmm. said, the, the kinds of devices. Uh, they've got uh, the track chair we bought most recently uh, with some funding that was donated uh, um, from the uh, Steve Peterson family mm-hmm. uh, in uh, memorial of Kathy Peterson, who was a uh, conservator on our uh, Game Fish and Parks Commission for uh, several years. And, and uh, so we're really uh, excited to put that to work. But that, that track chair actually will stand a seated person up. Really? And uh, so they can uh, stand to shoot, and mm-hmm. depending, of course, on their uh, mobility challenges. But, um, yeah, we uh, 
just recently acquired that track chair. In fact, it's out in Pier. Um, our uh, Parks and Wildlife Foundation also got involved with the Samp family, and, and uh, they're going to be the conduit to, uh, to uh, you know, run the funds through and, and uh, purchase those track chairs. And, and uh, so uh, working with Christina Kobe and, and uh, Michael Samp, it's been a, just a great, uh, great uh, chance for me to get uh, involved in, in uh, you know, in the uh, effort to, again, get people in the outdoors that, uh, you know, maybe haven't gotten involved just because they've had mobility challenges later in life. Right. Yeah, and, and, I, and I know the plan is to set them up similar, but, the, like, the one in Rapid City, um, in talking to, and it's actually one of the volunteers out there um, who kind of came up with that idea and worked, you know, worked with our staff and worked with Youth Outdoor Adventures and stuff. You basically do it by yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's a standalone uh, thing. They uh, they've got electric jack on the front and and uh, rear jacks that uh, you know will stabilize the back. Mm -hmm. um, all you got to do is open up the back and and uh, get in and, and uh, unhook the chair. It's got a track uh, device that yep. uh, we use to uh, secure the chair in place while it's being transported. But um, yeah, we would just run a cord to power the the chair itself and and uh, back it right out of the uh, the uh, trailer and and off you go and they're slick and it, it is really cool i mean it for me to even when i was there and talking with with i can't remember the guy's name it'll come to me i there is there are videos on our youtube page about it and we're going to do more on these new track chairs but like it's hard to even you know listen to him and talk about how important this was for him and reconnect you know and, and try to get out there in a re, on a regular chair or even a regular power chair in some areas yep it's pretty tough it is, and, and uh, you know, we want, uh, you know, whether they're uh, disabled vets or, or uh, folks that, you know, have a, a, a long-term uh, mobility issue, um, we want to provide opportunities for folks to get reconnected to the outdoors because there's nothing uh, more enjoyable, I think, in life than, than uh, participating in, in hunting or fishing or, or uh, you know, just out hiking down the trails right. in, in some of our state parks. So that's our overall goal is uh, to try and place, uh, and, and, of course, uh, you know what? What I was thinking pretty small. If we got maybe a half a dozen, that would be great. Uh, Michael Sam's got bigger <laughs> ideas, and and uh, he's thinking that you know twenty twenty five should be no uh, small small challenge for him. But um, yeah, we're uh, we're excited to work with the Sam family, and and uh, hope to get some additional chairs placed here in the near future. Yeah, uh, that chair that we have now be available come springtime. Yeah, it, it's actually available now. If if people wanted to uh, to uh, check it out. Um, it is, uh, as I said, uh, kind of being used to help with our marketing effort to uh, try and, and uh, um, find uh, some additional donors to help us with the program mm -hmm. long term. Um, actually, our uh, Parks and Wildlife Foundation, uh, some of the board members are going to meet with legislators on Monday night uh, this coming week in, in Pier and, and uh, show the track chair off and uh, talk about the program. And, and uh, hopefully we can get the word spread across the state that uh, we're... Uh, trying to raise funds and help get people outdoors and get them reconnected with uh, all the great things you can do with hunting and fishing across the state. Right, and it's it's a big lift. I mean, they're they're not giving them away. Plus, we got a trailer for each one of them. Yeah, about um, thirty thousand dollars. You know, it takes to, to really outfit uh, the whole thing um, as a as a unit and uh, working with the local uh, trailer um, sales provider here, Pleasure Land, uh, on these uh, last couple. But uh, you know, we welcome any other. Uh, vendors out there that would uh, enjoy working with us on the project as well. Sure. Um, where, 
first of all, uh, how do you reserve the chair? How do you get time on the chair? Yeah, David, in fact, is going to do some training with our staff this week. We haven't rolled the information out to our website yet, but uh, we're going to be doing some training. Uh, in fact, I think it's later on today. And uh, we'll have that information posted on our website. Rapid City, uh, you can call our regional office mm -hmm. out there and uh, do the same down here at the outdoor campus uh, in the coming uh, uh, weeks and, and uh, we should have our track chair ready to go and, and uh, we'll make it available for folks who want to get out uh, Maybe want to go for a hike on one of the trails um, Obviously, there's some some uh, You know brief training and, and awareness uh, and Safety information right. that we, we want to provide and, and uh, make sure people understand the capabilities of the, uh, the machine, but um, yeah, we're excited to get them out and, and uh, get them in use and, and uh, Place them more around the state. So please mm -hmm. call uh, our regional office in Rapid City or Sioux Falls, and we'll uh, get you on the calendar. What if uh, we got somebody that's got some extra money that wants to put, put towards the, the cause? Yeah, Christina Kobe with our Parks and Wildlife Foundation has been uh, uh, leading that effort along with Michael Samp. Um, those uh, individuals can be uh, contacted. Uh, Christina actually works in our office here mm -hmm. at the outdoor campus, and, and uh, so she can be contacted, and, and uh, Michael Samp, uh, Works directly with me, so you know I can route uh, anybody that's interested in, in working with uh, the two of them. Um, can share information and get them uh, in contact, and we'd love to to uh, hear from folks that might be interested in helping with right. the program. It is it is a cool thing, and I go back to you know I talked to a few of the people um, that have used it out in the hills, and it, and it's it's one thing to go spend a couple hours at family park or you know a place that's easily accessible. But, you know, the, the words that they were using is, you know, off the beaten trail. I yep. want to go, I want to get to the places I used to go to. Yep. Or you right? got to hike through the woods on a, you know, an old dirt trail right. that uh, might have some and, sticks and logs and right. all kinds of. And these things can channels. handle it. I mean, they've got the hydraulic lifts if you're yep. going uphill and then you go put yep. it the other way when you're yep. going downhill. And tilt, there's a tilt the chair, yep. Backup battery and, and talk to the one guy that first time he used it, he was, I think he was chasing a turkey. And got way out, and oh, I got no battery power. And there's a reserve battery, and he clicked it, and he said, "I got back to the trailer." And he said, uh, "Got to remember to bring my phone next time too." So, but you know, that's that's kind of the idea, right? Is is to make sure that these folks can go do the things that they want to do, not just the things that are available, yeah. right? And in most cases, you know, they're they're out there in the woods with friends and family too, and, right. and uh, so you know, keeping them safe is is uh, always in the front of everybody's mind but um yeah it's great great chance for us to get folks back connected with the outdoors and enjoying those things they used to do uh you know in uh, days gone by heck yeah that's a good project what uh, what else we got going on you know the outdoor campus uh, is looking to expand um we've got uh, money in our budget and are looking to uh, develop an outdoor archery range here on our uh, sertoma park grounds we work with the city of sioux falls down here and and uh have a long-term lease in Sertoma Park. It's a city-owned uh, park and, and uh, just a great uh, piece of, of uh, public real estate. Um, we've got uh, a neat natural area here with the Oxbows. Mm -hmm. uh, Oxbows is the old uh, Sioux, Big Sioux River and, and I've got some uh, native prairie habitat down here. We worked with the city of Sioux Falls recently to burn that, rejuvenate the that grassland stands out there. Weird. Yeah, it's very tall and looks in good shape and we're developing a pollinator plot on the uh, east side of the the campus across the new bridge that the city put in yeah. uh, for us here. It's kind of a uh, iconic spot. Uh, I've uh, told people if I had uh, a dollar for every photo that got taken on that yeah. bridge, I'd yeah. probably be retired <laughs> by now. But 
there's a couple turtles down there that have been had a million pictures taken <laughs> of them. I think. Yeah, yeah. The campus grounds. Uh, you know, we're looking to expand even longer term than that by uh, expanding our building. We put together a, a friends group with the uh, outdoor campus and, and uh, Jan Nicolay. Another um, cyclone. <laughs> yeah, another cyclone. You know, Jan from uh, her days in the legislature. Yes, Jan's yes, been a friend of the the campus. Uh, as are many uh, folks in Sioux Falls, they, they love the outdoor campus, and we love that they love the outdoor campus because we've had lots of support over the years down here, and Jan has probably been one of the principals among all the folks down here that have, have helped us out. Uh, Kevin Nyberg, Jeff Scherschlick, uh, just a ton of folks in yep. Sioux Falls who've uh, stepped up to, to help make this place that it the place that it is. And, and uh, But we are looking to expand the campus, so we hope to... Uh, put in place a couple more classrooms and an indoor archery and BB gun range uh, that will really help our programming efforts. In addition, um, you know, we have been developing new programs for the campus, uh, hunting 101, fishing 101 programs where we actually, um, you know, start uh, folks and, and uh, sometimes they're young people, but sometimes they're people in college right. or even later in life who uh, want an oasis to uh, learn how to hunt or fish. And, and uh, we kind of take them from uh, cradle to grave, so to speak, uh, with the whole process of uh, of uh, hunting, uh, up to uh, the uh, point where they uh, actually cut up the deer, and, and uh, um, we uh, have cooking classes as well. Right. So that's one of the things that will expand in the campus as well is the opportunity for us to actually uh, do game processing and, and uh, teach folks how to make good use of the uh, the critters that they're harvesting out there. So great. Uh, Great project, you know. Long term looks to be probably in the neighborhood of seven to eight million dollars. Probably uh, we're working with the Parks and Wildlife Foundation to uh, help raise money for that project as well. Uh, they've committed to uh, to help uh, with that effort, and and uh, we'll utilize some of our federal aid funds hopefully down the road too. And and uh, but uh, you know that's coming not uh, in the not too distant future. That outdoor archery range. Where's the closest one? From you know, here, we've got uh, we've got a couple of smaller archery ranges around uh, that we've uh, placed. One is down at uh, uh, Lake Alvin, actually. Oh yeah, and we've got right. uh, a seven-station uh, uh, outdoor range there. We've got a wonderful walking range, um, in, along with a uh, uh, seven-station um, uh, range out to um, Big Sioux sure. Recreation Area right. near Brandon. There, and it's a wonderful place to uh, to uh, archery practice archery out there um walking trail and and uh, i think there are 14 15 stations out there uh, various angles and, right. and uh, distances and and uh, so that's another opportunity um you know we've got some great uh, local archery uh, uh vendors in in town here um that are uh, one of which expanded uh, a new facility up north uh, near renner and uh, so we oftentimes work with them as well in partnership um, to uh, promote the sport of archery hunting, archery and archery hunting, and uh, of course work with Bruce, Bruce uh, down at uh, the Yankton facility. Oh, as well. yeah, Bruce Cole. Bruce yeah, Cole. Right. Yep. I, I just think you know it, the outdoor range. If it's typical like most of ours, it's you know you don't have to call ahead. You don't have to. I, yep. I I just. I think it's going to be a good problem, but I think there's going to be people lined up with their bow cases because there, there will be, and, and that's one of the things that we're in anticipating. You know, we want to make it obviously uh, as safe as we can. Of course, we got lots of park patrons that uh, you know walk the trails here, right. and, and uh, um, so we've uh, 
kind of plan to put it off on, on the uh, southwest corner of the outdoor campus right. building, and uh, so it'll take up part of our, our prairie space there. But, um, you know, it'll be uh, a very safe range. It'll be uh, allow shooting out to 60 yards and uh, probably 10 to 12 lanes of, uh, of uh, shooting. And so, and again, we hope to... Uh, you know, make that more accessible as well right. with sidewalks for, for those that are, are uh, you know, wheelchair bound and, and uh, have some mobility issues. So, yeah, we're uh, excited about it. Uh, hopefully uh, going to break ground either later this fall or next spring and uh, are in the process uh, now um, of uh, kind of going to that next step with our, our uh, planning process and developing uh, some uh, further refined plans and, and uh, cost estimates and, and then right. construction documents after that. So. Yeah. yeah, that's that's good stuff. I mean, it, it's just the the explosion of archery, and it's, you know, obviously tags and some of that stuff come, in, come into play. But, you know, 16 years when I started with the department, you know, I think one of the first, first things I bought was we were at a division conference he, in Mitchell, and Cabela's was offering like 40% off any Cabela's stuff. So I... I hardly had any money, but I went out and bought a full setup, <laughs> killed a turkey at Blue Cloud Abbey, and I don't think I've shot the thing since. <laughs> you got to get out there. Get I, that daughter going on I, the tree, honey. Oh, man. And you know how it is. I mean, it, it's, it's, I don't have time to do the things I'm good at outdoors, right? <laughs> so, you know, that's part of it. But that, that explosion of, of that segment of not just, not just the archery, but more specifically, like just target shooting and like gun target shooting and stuff. Yeah, I don't know if anybody could, any of us could have anticipated like that. Boy, it it uh, just un, it's unbelievable the growth in archery. Um, probably you know, and it really it's it's at a crescendo now. But it probably started 15 years ago, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of it's due to TV, the advancements in, in technology, uh, technology on on bows and, and arrows, sights. Um, you know, it, it does take some time to be learn to be proficient with a you know any new weapon that you pick up, but you know with the advancements in, in the technology, you know it doesn't take long at all to make you pretty accurate. And, right. Uh, and of course that uh, that's an important part of uh, archery is making a good clean kill. Right. And you know I, I talked to Clint Whitley who used to be here and then moved on and now he's out in Rapid and we talked a lot about the hunting 101, fishing 101 programs you know there and here and i've got to be a part of i got to help teach the fishing 101 class uh, nick harrington and i kind of tag teamed with some of the central south dakota staff and he talked more about walleye fishing and i talked more about you know pan fishing and bank fishing and stuff and and then got to host now two years have hosted a like a hunting 101 pheasant hunting at our down at our place at draper oh yeah and talking to those uh, primarily women i mean we had one one male this year and I think we had two last year and you know using it as building a group and you know they all come kind of in little groups and then now all of a sudden I see them in pier and they're like yeah we all went out what yeah you know we shot two and it was awesome and she was up to her (laughs) neck in snow and she got stuck in a shelter belt and you know so it it is a good reminder that you know I think for years we did concentrate on the kids which is which is great and we still have to do that but we kind of left those adults behind, you know, and, yeah. and me as well. You know, archery, one of the reasons I stopped doing it is because I sucked at it. You know, my arm would be all black and blue, and, 
geez, I'm flinging arrows around, and I got lucky enough to kill a turkey, you know, with uh, Adam's spies one year. But it's, as an adult, you don't want to go and say, I'm not good at this, right? Yeah. You know, Charlie uh, tied me a bunch of flies, and she knows how to fly cast. I wasn't going to come here and take that class. She taught me. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we shouldn't. And with these 101 classes, man, you come walking in, and everybody's in the same the yep. same step. Exactly. You know, we, we literally had this last group, I think we had 13... 13 hunters, two of them before they took that class had ever had a gun in their hand. So you're like, wow, that's a big step to take to go, you know, I think we, we should try this, you know, get a group of one or two or, you know, a few of them were by themselves, but a lot of mother, daughter, older mother, daughter. And, and I was just you're like, Congr- bueno, congratulations yeah. on taking that step. And now that they have, and you kind of set them up for success, granted, they still need assistance at some point, but they can go out. And literally, they call it going for a walk with a gun. And if we see something, great. If we don't, great. We had a great day in the field. Right, and now they're talking about buying dogs, you know, and and it's like, ha, we got you, right? But that's a big step to take. So, you know, these archery ranges and stuff for folks that, you know, if you're out hiking around out here and, you know, you just kind of look and go, hmm, that looks kind of interesting. I might not want to ever shoot anything, but that, you know, that looks kind of fun. You can walk in the door here. Yep, and, to and start to develop your skills. Probably within a month, we've got you in a class. Yep. And, and whether it's ice fishing or hunting or cooking or archery, I mean, we've got the place to get you on the road right here. Got lots of great opportunities, and uh, we've got a lot of support. The city of Sioux Falls has worked really closely with us on providing opportunities for some of our mentors to get out mm-hmm. and, and harvest both deer and turkeys. And we work with a number of landowners around uh, Sioux Falls and down by Adams Nature Area and... Uh, other locations but um yeah it's just a great chance to get uh, those that are interested and, and learn how to to uh, enjoy the outdoors you know and, and uh, you know you don't always have to harvest something to, right. to have a good day in the field and and uh, but um that is the goal and and uh, so we want to try and do what we can provide the skills and, and the tools necessary for them to to have a good time in the outdoors right and i i talked to uh, uh, several of our group this year and and you know i don't know time comes i don't know if i can pull the trigger and i don't know if it's for me you know yep that's fine let's get you to handle the gun safely you know let's shoot some trap shoot trap okay you know and we i had two two women in my group specifically were like i said that's fine let's do a walk you know we'll watch you know carry the gun on your shoulder everything and by the end of it I mean, the biggest hoops and hollers when a bird got dropped were, were those two, right? And and I I also have one that I, I really like to shoot, but I don't, I, I, I you know, I'm going to take my bird home that I shot. And, you, you know, she helped clean and all that stuff. But I think I might shoot trap. Awesome. You should, yeah. right? You know? So it, it's, you go down a path and you don't necessarily have to keep going and get to Mount Everest, right? It's, right. There's different directions you can go. And it's it's still the path is still enjoyable, right? It's, uh, no matter no matter what you set as your your ultimate goal, and, and uh, yeah, it's all about uh, being with being with friends and enjoying the outdoors, and, and uh, you know the uh, the skills that you build and, and the relationships that you develop. Right. Yeah, and this is the place to do it. What else we got? I miss anything? I always miss something. I think you got her, buddy. All right, we're gonna have to go eat lunch. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta get on the road and get back home. I'm sure I got I've got. Uh, I'm taking my daughter and one of her friends and another buddy. We're going to go fish a 24-hour ice fishing tournament on the ice and realized I don't have anything ready. Food, <laughs> nothing. 
So uh, I got to get home and get that stuff ready. Charlie called me this morning. She gets up early and she, do we have a menu planned? And I went, no, we don't. I don't have anything in thought. I don't have my fish shack ready for you. Hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to hit the road. But Emmett, it's always awesome. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks great, for taking the time. Great to be with you, Chris. And, uh, yeah, it's been a great ride for me at Game Fishing Parks. Awesome. Emmett Keezer, Game Fishing Parks uh, legend. <laughs> Just pass by without saying hi to me Having time flying Just pass by without saying bye to me yeah. Always good talking with Emmett He's uh, he's a great dude And he'll be missed He he always kind of had a level hand and, and just always had enough experience and wisdom To, to help a young pup out when when I needed it, and then slow my middle-aged butt down when I needed that too. So thanks for Emmett uh, for all your years and for sitting down and kind of talking talking through some stuff. Uh, what do we got going on? Paddlefish season is now. Applications are open for Lake Francis Case. Um, I'd be I'm hesitant to tell everybody to take advantage of that opportunity because it's so much fun and I love to do it, but if you've never done it, you should. It's it's a ton of fun. Um, I have a couple of YouTube videos. One where I was snagging with my buddy Ed. And one um, showing how our fisheries people go about collecting paddlefish for paddlefish spawning. That's on our South Dakota Game Fishing Parks YouTube channel. So if you get a chance, go check those out. The spawning one is really cool and We'd like to sit down with a couple of those uh, fisheries folks and talk about that a little bit, but you won't believe it until you see it, how they catch these fish, and, and it's really cool. But that paddlefish opportunity in Lake Francis Case and then down um, at Yankton is is really unique and super fun. Once you hook into one of those fish, uh, you'll be hooked as a paddlefish angler. So take a look at that. I think that application deadline is the 9th of February. Uh, I know there's a bunch of ice fishing tournaments going on. Mobridge was last weekend. I had a great turnout, as always. They run an awesome tournament, uh, some smaller tournaments in the next couple weeks, and then uh, Piers Winter Fishing Weekend Tournaments that first weekend in February. I'll be a part of that, kind of on that board and do the MC work and bring in a bunch of friends, and we fish that, so that's a lot of fun. But get out. Enjoy the weather. I mean, it's, yeah, we've been getting some snow and stuff, but temperatures have been level. So uh, it's been been a good winter so far. Hope everybody's doing all right. And until next time, we'll see you down the road. Next afternoon, drove back to my car. Lose most of the breath, so dang. Jump more than my batteries did. And it's back to my place where privacy feels dark. It's another long day. Very short life. It's another long day. When the time to think things over. It's another long day. Very short life.
you just passed by without saying out of me. 